Welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 10. Thanks for being here. Well, another week has gone by. It's a Saturday night as I record this. I had a little shuffling in my production schedule lately due to some travel. But I'm just sort of kicking back. I'm enjoying the lovely Guinness as I record tonight. Leftovers from St. Patrick's Day. This is despite my wife's recent internet research showing, much to my surprise, that I actually have really no Irish in me. Lots of English, some German, some Italian, fair amount of Dutch. No Irish. But I already had the beer, so I can't waste it. That's Guinness, the king of beers. Or something. Guinness people, let me know my, when my lifetime supply will arrive. Also, I had a Bass Pale Ale earlier, so if you guys want to contact me too about my shipment, that'd be great. So what's new? Recently, I was poking around on iTunes looking for something, and I happened to stumble across a podcast called The Dollop, D-O-L-L-O-P, which appears to be a show. I wasn't really familiar with it, but it looks like a show hosted by these two comedians. In each episode, they just kind of talk about whatever they feel like talking about, not necessarily retro games or any particular topic. I think they kind of bounce around to whatever happens to spark their fancy. The episode that caught my eye was 139, called The History of Atari. So, of course, I had to check it out. The guys are kind of funny. They, in that episode, they give a little summary of the origins of the Atari company, sort of hitting the highlights of the trials and tribulations, mostly the tribulations, that Atari went through back in the day, and sort of the colorful characters that were involved. It was kind of entertaining. It's a little sweary if naughty language concerns you, be aware of that, but it was worth a listen. So what else is going on? Oh, hey, you know what? The Atari Bytes podcast is now available on the Retro Atari Podcast app, which is a free app that gives a nice little roundup of links to various Atari-related podcasts. My thanks to Trevor at Holyoke.com for putting me on there. I appreciate that. You can get the app in the Google Play Store. All right, well, enough news. It's time to get on to this week's game. This week, we're going to talk about the 1979 game, Asteroids. So what do we have here, for those of you who don't know? The object of the game, Asteroids, is to destroy as many asteroid boulders, that's right, not just any old asteroids, asteroid boulders, as possible, and keep your ship in space as long as possible, as opposed to keeping it in the ocean? I'm very confused. And that's only the first half of the first paragraph. Use your joystick controller to move, maneuver your ship through space and press the red controller fire button to shoot photon torpedoes at the asteroid boulders. Is photon torpedoes a copyright thing? Is, were the Star Trek people mad about this? I guess in 79, you didn't have a Star Trek TV series. You had sort of the lame Star Trek the motion picture. Go ahead, Star Trek nerds, send me your email. But it wasn't a very good movie. When an asteroid is hit, it may just break up into smaller boulders, or it may be completely pulverized. In some game variations, you'll face additional space hazards such as satellites and UFOs. And then they helpfully add here in parentheses, unidentified flying objects. Both of which you may be firing torpedoes, I'm sorry, both of which may be firing torpedoes back at you. Well, that's just rude. Alright, operating your spaceship. Push up with the joystick to thrust, push left to go counterclockwise, right to go clockwise, and down for so-called features. 
which as far as I can tell from playing this basically means uh, launching your ship into hyperspace. Use your joystick controller with the this telegames cartridge. Be sure to plug the controller cables firmly into the jacks at the back. You know, I don't need to read that part. If you don't know how to plug in your joystick, why are you listening to an Atari podcast? Use the joystick controller to aim the spaceship and to fire photon torpedoes at the asteroids. Move the joystick right to rotate the ship clockwise, move it left to rotate the ship counterclockwise. I got all that from the picture already. The ship moves only in the direction it's pointed. That's helpful. Pulling the joystick down causes the ship to perform different functions, such as hyperspace, which I mentioned, shields, or flip. Shields? Oh yeah, I guess I did know that was a thing. I think in the little game summary, the little uh, snippet of me playing the game, you're not going to hear me use the shields. Spoiler alert, I already record recorded that part. Alright. Well, the rest of the manual is basically uh, various uh, variations on the different games. Some of them, as they mentioned, have the UFO in them. Some of them, the asteroids move a little faster. Games 9 through 16, here you go, for one player, and games 42 through 49 for two players, allow you to protect your spaceship by surrounding it with protective shields. The game that I played was not one of those. So I had hyperspace, I did not have shields. And as you can tell from the audio when you hear it, I could have used some shields. Helpful hints. After playing Asteroid several times, you'll discover which techniques work best for you. Here are some that our space cadets <laughs> found most helpful. One, when the screen becomes clear of asteroids just before a new group of large asteroids appears, try to avoid placing your spaceship close to the right or left edge of the screen. New asteroids almost always begin from these edges. Helpful hint. Part two, they always begin from those edges. Number two, it is often helpful to remain in the center of the screen throughout the game, aiming your spaceship right and left or in a circular motion. Three, if you're close to earning an extra ship and your spaceship is about to crash, you may want to cause your spaceship to collide with a small asteroid, UFO, or satellite. You'll earn points even if you crash, and this may be just enough points to earn that extra ship. That's how Captain Kirk would do it. Four, try to hit the faster and smaller asteroid boulders, again with the asteroid boulders. This will give you more protection and more points. Alright, well that was fun, but I think it's time that we check out this game. Apparently we've got a bad case of roids. It's time to apply some Galactic Preparation H. I'm sorry, that's awful. You should probably just stop listening now. Roll the thing. Alright, space patrollers, let's do this. We've got a cup full of tang, we're ready to pee in our spacesuits, and we've got a serious case of roid rage. Let's do some damage. This one's for the galaxy. Take that, asteroids. Making big rocks into little rocks. Oh, now I'm dead. Oh, now I'm alive. Making big rocks into little rocks. That's my job. If that's not a metaphor for something, I don't know what it is. Ah, take that. Thrusters. Ooh, UFO. Where's Mulder and Scaldi when you need them? Oh, I died again. One more. Oh, whoa. These are some colorful asteroids, man. Might be my last ship. Could be a very short patrol. You guys are on your own, I guess. I 
I better make the jump to hyperspace. Choop. No, not there. Oh, curse you, galaxy. Back to you in the studio. Okay, well, that was Asteroids. That's pretty much the whole game right there. Not a whole lot to work with, as far as story analysis. Let's see if there's anything else that we can mine from the manual. Uh, oh, here we go. I skipped right over section one. Cosmic Space Patrol. Ooh, I smell a story coming on, kids. Put on your footy jammies, grab your warm milk. It's story time. On a quiet, serene evening, the Cosmic Space Patrol sets out for the usual night cruise through the boulevards of space. On the boulevards of space. Wait, that was a different song. Anyway, this beat was always the same. Calm, no action, and no excitement. For some reason, this night feels different. Shortly before 0200 hours, some form of intergalactic material is sighted through the visual particle counter. Isn't that just the window? Anyway, this material is too large a mass to measure. It's drifting closer. Look out! It's a giant asteroid boulder! Alright, and it's headed straight for the cosmic spacecraft. Everyone knows that the asteroid boulders only target the cosmic spacecraft. The ocean-going spacecraft are just fine. Back to the story. The only chance for survival is to dodge the boulder or destroy it. Destroying it doesn't mean just breaking it up. It means vaporizing it. Small asteroid boulders are equally as fatal as large ones. Whew! The boulder just missed colliding with the cosmic spacecraft, but suddenly the cosmic space patrol find themselves surrounded by thousands of the deadly asteroids. The cosmic space patrol must act quickly to save their spacecraft and spare their lives. The spacecraft is equipped with photon torpedoes, copyright Star Trek, hyperspace shields, and flip control. The cosmic space patrol is highly trained to handle this situation. Could you do as good a job as cosmic space patrol? How would you protect yourself if you were caught in a deadly asteroid belt? This is your big chance to fly through the dimensions of space and lend fend against asteroid boulders. Fend against asteroid boulders? Anyway, the longer you survive, the more space hazards you'll encounter. Dun, dun, dun. If I had some really cool epic space music, I would insert it right here. Alright, that's the setup for the game, I guess. You're in the Cosmic Space Patrol. The envy of all your friends who are just in the regular space patrol. So what's the story that we're talking about in this game? As we learned in our Superman episode, there are five elements to a story. The introduction, or exposition. The rising action. The climax, which is sort of the peak of the story. The falling action. And the resolution, or denouement. How does Asteroids fit into this analysis? Here's how I'd fill in the blanks that the Cosmic Space Patrol story awesome as it was, just doesn't give us. It's pretty obvious what's going on here. The Space Patrol, sorry, the Cosmic Space Patrol story is as old as science fiction itself. Here's the setup. Here's the introduction slash exposition. While waiting in space dock, you have a falling out with the super sexy object of your affection. You two are the best pilots in the Space Patrol, but he or she is no nonsense by the book. You, though, are restless reckless, and impulsive. Dare I say, you're a maverick. Rising action. The argument becomes heated. The insults fly fast and furious. Words you'll regret are thrown, but there's no time to make amends now. It's time to go on patrol. You agree to disagree about everything. You say, we'll talk about this later. They say, bet your ass we will, but not now. You've got a patrol to do. You get in your ship, you fly out into space, everything seems normal, 
you have time to stare thoughtfully into space as soft music plays in the background before there it is a purple asteroid swear to god in this game the asteroids are purple and blue and yellow and red kind of like being on the original star trek series ding copyright star trek by the way i've been saying copyright all the time i probably mean to say trademark that was a, a nerdy side note for it but there you are suddenly your thoughts about the big fight you had are dashed when you see out your what was it the viewer screen which is really just your window there's the asteroid and suddenly we're at the climax of the game the climax of the story a routine patrol becomes a battle for the life of your crew the asteroid storm rains down on you your rival slash lover radios you from space dock get back to space dock they say no you bark back I've got a patrol to do but remember I'll always love you and they say I love you too, doofus. Or words to that effect. Your aim is true. You land shot after shot, destroying dozens of asteroids, making big rocks into smaller rocks. But there are just too many of them, even for a space jockey like you. And then your ship is destroyed. Over and over again. You shoot some asteroids, you get blown up. You come back to life, you shoot, shoot, shoot some more, you get blown up again. Oh, come on, the love of your life groans. He can't even die by the book. But you do. You destroy... You do die by the book. You come back. You destroy all the asteroids. The climax is reached, for lack of a better term. And now it's time to, kind of literally, pick up the pieces. Here's where we have the falling action part of the story. Your rival figures out a way to neutralize the asteroid storm from space dock while simultaneously changing the locks on your quarters and composing bad poetry about you. Even in the lonely void of space, I still can't stand your face. Something else that rhymes with space. And finally, the story, much like your battered space patrol ship, comes in for a landing with the resolution slash denouement. You spot your lover across space dock as you exit your ship. You run to each other, you kiss and make up, and everything is awesome. Just kidding. You never speak to each other again. Your lover is already sharing surely with a freighter pilot from the outer moons. Space patrol is your only love now, and she's a cruel mistress. But neither you nor the universe can live without it. This is Space Patrol. Alright, well I think that was kind of self-evident. Some other thoughts about this story. Ultimately, this game, Asteroids, is kind of like that Star Trek episode. Not to bring it back to Star Trek again, but I am. It's my show. It's kind of like that Star Trek The Next Generation episode where the Enterprise keeps getting destroyed over and over again because the ship is caught in some sort of a time loop where they re re constantly repeat the same events until something trips them, trips them up. Data figures out that they're, that they're just repeating history over and over again. And they figure out a clever way. I won't spoil it for you. But they figure out a way to break the loop and not get destroyed. In Asteroids, you're kind of breaking the loop every time your ship gets blown up and you come back. Ultimately though, you're never going to break that loop of course. The game, you always are going to get destroyed. That's how the game ends. Game over, man. Oh, a thought about the ship. When I was thinking about asteroids and, and looking at this game, I had this weird feeling that the ship in the game looks like the ship from the original 1960s Planet of the Apes movie. 
even though I couldn't picture in my head what that ship actually looks like. So I went and found it, and it does look like that. I wonder if Asteroids 2, if such a thing existed, would involve Charlton Heston slingshotting his ship into the future. Kids, by the way, 1960's Planet of the Apes is the only true Planet of the Apes movie. Go ahead and argue with me about that. Homebrew Masters, I want to see an Asteroids 2 with a Planet of the Apes crossover. Make it happen. If I think of it, I'll put a picture of Charlton Heston's ship from the Planet of the Apes movie on my Facebook page, and you can take a look for yourselves at how incredibly psychic I am. By the way, stay tuned for my new podcast where I psychically predict the future. Alright, this is kind of cool. We've got some listener feedback this week to share with you. This is actually about Miss Pac-Man. Due to uh, some temporary shuffling of my production schedule, I wasn't able to get this into my last episode, but I'm happy to share it with you now because it comes from Sean at Pie Factory Podcast, which is a show you should listen to. Go now. Right now. And then make sure you come back. We'll wait. (laughs) Oh, good. You're back. All right. So Sean sent me this really long book. I mean, email with his thoughts about Miss Pac-Man. So I thought I would share this with you now. So here's what Sean had to say. Hey there, Bill. First and foremost, thanks so much for doing your podcast. I've really been enjoying your thoughts and interpretations. Thank you, Sean. Being the big Pac-Man fan that I am, and at 6'2 in my current weight, I am pretty big. Side note. If you're a big enough nerd that you host a retro game podcast, you want to have friends like Sean around to protect you. So I am happy to know this guy now. I thought I'd fill you in on some details that might explain a few things about Ms. Batman. First off, the Ms. pronunciation thing. Ms. is pretty much the dictionary standard pronunciation of the abbreviation MS period, which I also agree with, although I don't think people necessarily um, subscribe to that in common practice. Then Sean says, I could be wrong, but I think it came about as part of uh, changes in the 60s and early 70s. Miss, M-I-S-S, has no abbreviation. And here's a fun fact for you. Ever wonder why Mrs. M-R-S period is used as the abbreviation for Mrs.? Well, technically, Mrs. is short for Mistress. On a side note, Missy is short for the Master in Doctor Who. I thought as long as Sean was throwing in extraneous trivia, I would do the same. Well done, Sean. Then Sean says, I seem to remember you referred to Miss Patman as basically a graphically enhanced version of Pac-Man. I think that's probably pretty much what I said, and Sean thinks that's cool. He says, well, you're not far from the truth. Here's the story. All right, here we go. Here's the story part. Now, first off, the reason in 1981 that we now had a female Pac character goes back to the observation that, while in 1980 video gaming was virtually a sausage factory, when Pac-Man came out, it attracted female players. Keep that in mind. The thing about Pac-Man, though, as popular as it was, it was also becoming too easy for frequent gamers. I can see that. People easily developed patterns and found the game to be not enough of a challenge. Midway, the U.S. distributor of Namco's games, they, of course, you guys probably know, made Pac-Man. Midway reached out to the folks at Namco in Japan and said they needed a new game fast because Pac-Man was losing interest. 
and more importantly, arcade owners were fearing that they'd lose the attention of female gamers. Namco said, don't worry, we're already working on a sequel, just bear with us. Time passes, no sequel. In the meantime, a couple of folks at Midway happened upon an arcade game called Crazy Auto. It was dangerously close to Pac-Man. Crazy Otto was a character in a maze who was being chased around by goblins. The goal was for Otto to clear the dots in the maze, and if necessary, he could grab an energizer and temporarily be able to defeat the goblins, who would regenerate in a reincarnation chamber, I guess, in the middle of the screen. This all sounds really familiar. A bonus prize would appear, either a fruit or a pretzel, but instead of hovering under the reincarnation chamber, it would dance around the maze in one tunnel and out in another. And after clearing a certain number of mazes, Otto would face a completely new maze layout with different colors. And Sean says, sound familiar? Yes, it does. I think I said that. And this is pretty much everything I described in the Ms. Batman episode. Crazy Otto turned out to be a hacked version of Batman. It was an, quote, enhancement kit made by GCC, who had later worked with Atari on the Atari 7800. That could modify a Batman cabinet. There was also a similar kit for Missile Command called Super Missile Attack. Midway felt that Crazy Auto was exactly what they were looking for as a Pac-Man follow-up, so they bought the rights to the game from GCC, rehacked the goblins back to the monsters, ghosts, whatever, that we knew and loved from Pac-Man, and hacked the Crazy Auto sprite, which had legs, by the way, back to Pac-Man, and added a bow, lash, eyelashes, lipstick, and a beauty mark. So, yep, Miss Pac-Man was a hack of Crazy Auto, which in turn was a hack of Pac-Man. So Miss Pac-Man is a hack of a hack. Side note, like the day, literally the day before I got this email from Sean was the first time I'd ever heard of Crazy Otto uh, on another podcast. I think it was the uh, We Talk Games podcast, by the way. Another show you should be listening to. But, oh God, all right, hold on, go listen to it. Are you back? All right, we can keep going. Namco, however, wasn't happy... I'm Continuing to read Sean's email, by the way. Namco, however, wasn't happy with Midway about the move. They argued that for a game to truly be a releasable sequel, the gameplay had to be significantly different. And as you, you yourself observed, Bill, the gameplay was pretty much the same. Namco refused to acknowledge Ms. Batman until fairly recently. It's possible the most successful arcade video game of all time. It's possibly the most successful arcade video game of all time. So I guess they couldn't argue with success. Sean goes on to say the first official sequel to Pac-Man was Super Pac-Man, which was the sequel that Namco had been working on. I remember hearing of Super Pac-Man. I can't say that I ever actually played Super Pac-Man. That's me talking, by the way, not Sean. Sure enough, the gameplay is significantly different. Yes, Pac-Man is still in a maze and has to clear it while being chased by monsters and can use energizers to turn on them, but this time he has to unlock gates to clear fruits and other objects from the maze. Has, quote, super pills, close quote, that make him invincible and at the press of a button fast. And there are bonus rounds. Now, Namco's next official sequel, Pac-In-Pal, side note, I've never heard of this game, released in the U.S. as Pac-Man and Chomp Chomp, was actually very similar graphically to Super Pac-Man, but had yet different gameplay still. Pac-Man still had to clear the maze, but to do so, he'd have to turn over cards to reveal the items that needed to be cleared. And he'd have a goblin, or in the U.S., his dog, Chomp Chomp, taking things... Wait, hold on. In the original version of the game, he had a goblin for a sidekick, while there are goblins chasing him? Or maybe ghosts. I guess the ghosts are chasing him. And really, in the U.S., Chomp Chomp was an improvement? Anyway, back to the email. Where was I? 
No energizers in this one, but when turning over the proper card, Pac-Man could use special powers against the monsters. And one more thing, both Super Pac-Man and Pac-N-Pal allow Pac-Man to enter the reincarnation chamber. Hmm, interesting. He goes on. The next official sequel, Pac-Land, another one that I've never heard of, was a platformer based on the Saturday morning cartoon series. So that too is a significant change of gameplay from the original Pac-Man. I remember the cartoon series. I watched the thing every Saturday morning. It was awful. Made me really miss Bugs Bunny. But I watched it because I played Pac-Man. But I had no idea there was a game based on it. Huh. Anyway. In the meantime, Midway took further liberties with Pac-Man again to hack it into exciting new Pac-Man Plus. He, Sean has an exclamation point here. I'm really hoping the title of the game didn't have the exclamation point in it. And Junior Pac-Man. And they also manufactured their own Pac-Man game from scratch. Specifically, Professor Pac-Man. Really? And Baby Pac-Man. Baby Pac-Man I've heard of. Professor Pac-Man I've never heard of. And somehow, even without knowing anything about the game, I'm not surprised. Sean says, These unauthorized hacks and sequels prompted Namco to fire Midway as the U.S. distributor of their games, which is why the next Pac-Man sequel, Pac-Mania, was distributed by Atari in the U.S. By the way, Crazy Auto machines are extremely rare, and you typically only see them at gaming conventions. Like I said, I'd never heard of this game until this week. I believe there's only one known machine in existence, and the owner refuses to allow the ROMs to be ripped for use in other games. But if you go to YouTube, you can see a video or two of Crazy Auto in action. I've not done this yet. I really hope to do it sometime. If any of you do, uh, drop me an email and let me know what you thought of it. And Sean says, One more thing to mention about Ms. Pac-Man, and it's kind of downplayed in the Atari 2600 version. The characters in Ms. Pac-Man, and Crazy Otto for that matter, are actually acting out a movie. Hey, here's the storytelling part. Notice how the attract screen actually reads like opening credits. The dancing fruit and pretzels are supposed to be a nod to the Let's all go to the lobby cartoons that played in cinemas to entice people to go get some snacks. When Ms. Pac-Man is attacked, she spins around and faints. Classic overacting. You know, Sean, I hadn't thought about that until I read that part of your email, but you're absolutely right. That is what's going on there. Wow, I think what I wrote to you is actually more than what you say in any of your podcast episodes. He's right, I do tend to keep these episodes kind of short. Thanks again, Sean says, for doing the Atari Bytes, Bill. I've really been enjoying it on Monday mornings. Makes the morning commute less intolerable. That is awesome, Sean. Thank you so much for taking the time to write me a long email. Uh, I should add that uh, shortly after he sent me that email, he also sent me on Twitter, uh, at Atari Bytes, by the way, uh, a link to an article on a site I think called VentureBeat. I'll try to remember to put that link in my show notes. It gives a nice, it's a nice little article about uh, the, the developer of Ms. Pac-Man. It kind of uh, expands upon what uh, Sean told us. So that's very cool. Thanks again, Sean. Oh, side note about the VentureBeat article. It also makes brief mention of the game Asteroids, the topic of this week's episode, if you forgot already, and another awesome Atari game, Missile Command, which I will do eventually on the podcast because it's actually one of my favorites. And that's our show. But hey, before we go, here's our buddy Bill Kendrick from the XEGS Game by Game podcast to tell you about the Atari party happening this summer for free in Davis, California. Take it away, Bill. Hey, Bill. It's Bill Kendrick from the XCGS Cart by Cart podcast. I want to let you and your listeners know that I'm hosting my 8th annual Atari party this summer out here in Davis, California. That's near Sacramento and not far from the San Francisco Bay Area and Silicon Valley. It's free and will undoubtedly have at least one Atari 2600 set up. 
It's a one-day event on Saturday, July 30th. Visit newbreedsoftware.com slash Atari Party for more info. Thanks. Okay. You can find Atari Bytes on TuneIn, Stitcher, and iTunes, where you should leave a review to help others find the show and make my children happy. You want happy children, don't you? The website is Atari Bytes at... Excuse me. The website is ataribytes.libsyn.com. And now, as I said earlier, we're on the Retro Atari's Retro Atari Podcast app, which you can get, if you don't have it already, from Google Play. Want to send me a comment on the show, the games? Wax poetic about Atari and or 18th century Russian literature? Then email me at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on Facebook, where you also are going to go look at Charlton Heston's spaceship from Planet of the Apes, the best Planet of the Apes movie ever. Follow us on uh, Twitter at ataribytes, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. My thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for the Creative Commons use of his songs Take a Chance, Reformat, and Pinball Spring. And as always, until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.